Hey y'all, welcome to Adventures with Aggie. Today we have with us Connor Daly. Connor is a race car driver and he's driven just about anything you could imagine. He is currently racing in the IndyCar series and he just finished up racing at the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series just last weekend. So on that note, please welcome Connor. Connor, how are you doing today? Great, can't complain at all. Uh, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm so happy you're here. I'm excited to hear your story. I feel like I've kind of like, I've watched you race as I was growing up. So it's really cool to hear from you directly. Um, I actually, I was just telling them earlier that I have some pictures of us together. I think I was like 13 at the time. And really, I need to find those and send them to you. But it's pretty funny. I don't Where, know. Like the Indy 500? Um, yeah, Indy. And then I'm from Alabama. So I have some oh, pictures yeah. from Barber. But oh, um, okay. yeah, I know way back. <laughs> but I'll find them and send them to you sometime. Um, right. Yeah, so just to get started, can you kind of tell us, like, how did you get into racing and what are some of your earliest memories racing? Yeah, well, I mean, racing for me was it was a family sport. Uh, my dad was a driver. Um, he raced uh, in Formula One from 1978 to 82, uh, 1977, actually, to 82. Um, and he grew up in Ireland. Uh, all my dad's family's in Ireland. I, I have an Irish passport, actually, as well. I have dual citizenship, so... Um, I pretty much came out of the womb and there was everything just racing. That uh, was just cars. My dad retired when I was born, uh, in 91. Uh, that was like pretty much his, like, I, there's a photo of me as an infant in a, in a Nissan GTP sports car, uh, at a race that he won. Uh, and then pretty much after that he was done and he went, uh, went into TV broadcasting after that for racing. So, um, my mom uh, worked at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, which is obviously very close to where I was born uh, and where I live now uh, in Indianapolis still. So there, there was just pretty much everything going on around me had to do with race cars or a racetrack. And, uh, and I couldn't complain at all. I thought it was incredible. I, I loved going to the track. Um, I never missed an Indy 500. Uh, even, even as an infant, I was always at the track. I was being taken care of at the track. Uh, by by other family members, my grandma, grandpa, stuff like that. So uh, so it was always a part of my life, and and that's why it was easy to fall into. But I definitely wasn't forced into it. I mean, I started racing when I was ten, but I played a ton of other sports up until really high school. Uh, and once I was like thirteen, fourteen, that's when racing really became like uh, a very very serious thing, and I had to dedicate pretty much every every waking moment to it. Um, so, and it ended up working out, which I can't complain. That's great. I feel like racing is one of those sports that definitely like runs in the family. Like if a parent does it or something, you're kind of growing up at the track, like you're saying, like my dad did a little bit of racing. And I think that's why I also liked it a lot. I know I'm, I didn't really follow through like you did and keep going, but I really enjoyed my time when I was karting and stuff when I was a kid. Um, but back to your family, I wanted to ask you, like, who were some of your mentors growing up? Like, obviously your dad played a huge role. Um, in your racing career, but I don't know, growing up in a sports family, who, I guess, who were your mentors outside of that? Well, I mean, my dad, he was my manager, my coach, my uh, everything like that. Uh, but I also, you know, my parents got divorced when I was like 11 or 12. And my mom remarried um, uh, Doug Bowles, who's now president of the Indianapolis Winter Speedway. He uh, was co-owner of an IndyCar team while I was, you know, growing up. So Doug was obviously very good uh, as a mentor and as, as a person to just, just bounce things off of and talk to as well. Um, but honestly, I was so immersed in the sport and my dad knew everyone in the sport. So there was, 
there were just other drivers that I would get introduced to as I was a kid that I thought, you know, were heroes of mine. And um, guys like Dan Weldon, Thomas Schechter, uh, Sam Hornish Jr., um, you know, all – you know, all very, very talented drivers were, were guys that I could lean on and, and kind of ask questions as a, you know, an aspiring race car driver. Um, but, you know, there, there was a lot of people. This The racing community is, is, is a great group of people. I think everyone, um, there's a lot of very supportive people. There's a lot of, um, you know, just it, it is one big family, uh, family environment. And, you know, sometimes, I, you know, now that I've been in racing for a lot of years, there's a lot of parts that I hate about it as well, but realistically, uh, you know, the, the family element and the, the group of people that you get to go to battle with every weekend um, is, is a good group of people that I, I, I enjoy being a part of. That's awesome. That's funny. You kind of prefaced my next series of questions. I was going to ask you about, I guess, your favorite parts of being a professional race car driver and I guess the hardest parts. So can you touch on those a little bit? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the best part about racing, why we love it. I mean, it, it is very much like a drug, the, the, the adrenaline, the, the competition, um, just the sheer uh, quality of, of, of what we get to do. And, and I guess the, 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 the speciality of what we get to do is, is incredible. I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world and there's only 33 people that get to line up for the Indy 500 every year. And that's a very, uh, very specialized group. And, um, and it's really special to be a part of that. And, and I feel very lucky, feel very fortunate, but it took a lot of work to get there. And it took a lot of, um, you know, I gave up everything as a kid, you know, never went to a prom, never went to a, you know, a, a homecoming, whatever that was, didn't even know what it was. Um, I was always racing every weekend. Uh, I moved to Europe when I was 18. I didn't go to college. I lived by myself in England, uh, racing in Europe, uh, every, a different country every weekend. Um, traveling with the team, um, so you know a lot of uh, a lot of that growing up that you do as a kid. I had to do on the road. I was doing you know business meetings when I was sixteen, seventeen. Uh, you know, trying to you know talk to sponsors, work with businesses, work with groups of people. Do um, you know be a professional athlete? Uh, do all of that, and you had to be truly dedicated to it. So you know, there was a lot of that stuff that I missed as a kid, which I totally don't mind because honestly it was all worth it. Like getting, getting to the top of the, uh, of the sport, you know, was, was definitely worth it. And, you know, the hardest part now though is, is the business side for sure. Um, you know, there's, you're only as, as good as how much sponsorship you can come up with sometimes. So, you know, you could be the best driver in the world, but if some kid comes by with, you know, three to $4 million from a major company or their, their country's government, uh, you know, you could easily be knocked off your, uh, you know, your high horse. So, uh, you know, that's happened to me before. I've been a victim of that before. Uh, you know, I, I was able to make it thankfully just by what I could do behind the wheel. And then now it's turned into, you know, who do you have behind you? Who's your, who are your supporters? And thankfully, you know, we've got the U S air force now as a, as a, as a primary sponsor, which is huge, uh, for me. And it's the only reason I'm still an IndyCar driver. So, um, I, I obviously have been given a chance, which I'm very thankful for with this, you know, with this group of people. And, uh, I'd say that's, that's definitely been the most difficult transition from when I was a aspiring racing driver and you were winning things and you're like, Oh, this is great. You know, you just keep going because you're winning. But when you get to a certain level, now it's now it's a business, and now it's you know uh, there's a lot more than just what you can do behind the wheel. Uh, you have to be 
uh, a social media expert. You have to, you know, be uh, uh, an incredibly savvy business human being to talk with CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, all kinds of the C's and O's um, at, at different conferences and, and different uh, meetings of, of sorts. Um, you have to be everything rather than if you're in the NBA or the NFL, as long as you shoot that basket in the hoop and it goes in there a lot, you're probably going to have a job. And as long as you can throw touchdowns to Travis Kelsey and different, all kinds of people in the end zone, you're going to be get, get paid half a billion dollars. So it's, uh, it's something that is definitely very different from, you know, from our sport for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on the business side because when I was thinking of what I think the hardest part about being a race car driver is, it's probably like the trainings, the preparations, the stuff that your body goes through. But I loved hearing about that. But on the other hand, can you talk about some of the trainings and things that you have to go through when you're in season and off season? Yeah. The funny thing about like what I, all, all that I just mentioned, that's the hardest part. Like we do actually have to be elite athletes as well. Like that's something that I think racing, racing is very much underrated when it comes to the physicality um, you know, I, I wear this whoop wristband now, which is a heart rate monitor that I've worn all this year. And it's like the first time that I've got heart rate data during races. Um, and it's pretty wild to see what we're, what we're, what we're doing. Uh, and I think most people have no idea because if you go out and you drive your car on the street, you're like, well, this is very simple. And, and, uh, you know, it has a throttle pedal, it has a brake pedal. And yes, I mean, our race car also has a throttle pedal and a brake pedal and a steering wheel. Um, but you know, the forces that we're generating on our body without power steering in the Indy car, um, you know, if you go out and try and turn your car, uh, while it's, while the ignition's shut off, uh, you realize that the steering wheel is quite hard to turn without power steering, without that electronic or hydraulic assist. Um, so what, you know, we're, we're burning anywhere from, uh, 1600 to 2,500 calories, even more, um, during a, during one race. And then sometimes right now we've had practice qualifying and race all in the same day. So you're talking I've had, you know, multiple 5,500 calorie days, um, which are quite difficult. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing three to six G's for two and a half hours, um, in a 140 degree temperature cockpit. Um, you know, I've lost anywhere from 12 to 15 pounds, uh, during a race from, you know, from sweating out water. Uh, and, and it's very, very challenging. So we, you know, I work with a trainer every day, train two times a day, you know, I was at the gym this morning. We'll go for a bike ride this afternoon. Um, and you know, you have to train like a triathlete that, uh, also is, um, you know, withstanding space shuttle launch type G forces. So there's a lot of different stuff that, that we do, um, that people just don't realize until you actually like tell them and you're like, Hey, this is actually what's really going on. And you're like, Oh, well, I guess, I guess that is harder than I expected. That's why I like, I don't know a lot about baseball, but I assume it's very hard to play. And I respect everything that those players have to do to get to be a professional there, but I don't know anything about it. And I know that I cannot judge a single sport at all by how it looks because I know that it's very, very challenging because I do something that people judge very often, very easily. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I try to, I guess, stick up for racing every now and then. People ask me what I know about it, but lots of times they don't, I guess, believe it unless I've done it myself, you know, and I can't say that I've been a driver ever. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what does the recovery look like after a race? You lose, say, 12 pounds. What do you do, like, right after the race to replenish yourself? Well, this year, because of the whole pandemic, our schedule has turned into something that is very difficult. We have now two races per weekend. Um, so we've, we've raced 
Saturday and then immediately come back Sunday with another full length race. And for us, that is very difficult. So uh, a lot of us are on like, like I specifically have been on a, like a, a doctor, basically a doctor influenced uh, hydration plan. Uh, you know, we're having these, these fluids that are pumped into us that have, you know, 2000 milligrams of sodium, uh, at least two to three of those before the race, after the race. Um, you know, we've had IVs now as well in between uh, races um, that help us kind of just replenish everything. But you're just sore. Like you're, you're just, your body is just sore. But once you get into it, honestly, adrenaline takes everything over. Adrenaline, I think, cures all problems. It cures all your pains and weaknesses. It, cure, it cures everything because it's that fight or flight type adrenaline. It's what you're doing is very dangerous. If you make a mistake, you die. You know what I mean? So like that's your body telling you that it's going to push through, but it's going to be very upset with you afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine it's a little shocked after a race, but it also feels good because it like, I, I love that feeling. I love feeling that feeling of you left everything out there. Like you left everything on the court, you left everything on the racetrack and that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we train for. That's what we've, uh, you know, been born to do is to go out and compete at the highest level and if you if you didn't feel that way after a race then you're not you're not in the right game <laughs> yeah I guess you leave 12 pounds of everything on the track every week yeah. and that's a real number I yeah. it's crazy that is crazy well well my next I guess section is kind of about your favorite memories and racing and stuff so can you talk about some of your highlights of your time in IndyCar and I know you're also racing in NASCAR Gander RV and outdoors truck series. Um, so can you tell us what that's been like so far? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've had a very weird IndyCar career for sure. I mean, thinking about it, I've only done, you know, I've had 60, 62 starts in IndyCar. Um, but that's my first IndyCar race was seven years ago. So it's been very on and off. I have not really been in a position with, uh, you know, with how teams have worked out and how sponsors have worked out. I've always been, um, you know, just always right there. Um, you know, I was full-time in 2016 as a rookie. Uh, we were able to get on the podium, finish second, uh, qualify up front, run up front. Uh, we passed the most cars in the season. We got an award for that, which was really, really cool. Uh, and then 2017, uh, I had to go to a different team because the team that I was driving for had no money. Uh, and then that team was bad. And, you know, it was, it was just quite a, an up and down run. And from 2018, honestly, I, I was just part-time, you know, 2018, I basically went back to zero, uh, got a sponsor, the U S air force for the Indy 500. Um, again, we put together a very low budget, difficult operation. Uh, the car was nowhere near what it needed to be, uh, to be competing at the Indy 500, but we made the race and the race went well. Um, and I then got put in another car for another three races that year. It went well. So I did four races in 2018. I did seven races in 2019 with three different teams, um, which has never been done before in IndyCar. I don't think as driving for that many teams in a year, but it just, I was the guy, I was the guy on the sidelines that everyone wanted to use apparently. Um, and it ended up working out to where I was able to put together a full-time ride for this year. Um, again, with two different teams, um, but it was full time. You know, we've we've been on the pole this year. I got my first pole, uh, which is qualifying first for a race this year, which is really really cool. 
Um, my average qualifying position this year has been way higher than it's ever been in my career. We've done uh, a lot of great things this year for sure. But again, we've had a lot of things that have also uh, could have gone way better. And I've just been on the, on the wrong end of a few unlucky situations. Um, but, you know, this is now in a place where I hope to be building on for quite a long time. You know, I would love to be in this exact same position next year if we can have the U.S. Air Force back again. Um, so it's been a wild ride. It's been a difficult ride. Um, but, you know, all the work to get back to this point was certainly worth it because this year we've had a lot of great moments and it's been uh, it's been fun. That's great. I feel like when I was watching you, I was like, where's Connor going to be this weekend? Who's he going to be with this weekend? It was yeah. exciting, but it's incredible, actually. Like looking at I was obviously when I'm like prepping my questions for you and stuff, looking at where you've been, you've raced for everybody, which is yeah. incredible. I'm sure you've learned so much from racing just with all these different teams and stuff like that. But um, that's great. I feel like I kind of left the question a little open-ended for you, I guess, to see what I thought no, your highlights right. were. But, um, you mentioned yeah. the NASCAR truck thing, though, too. I mean, that was yeah. – like, I've also driven everything really randomly. I, I will do anything. I'll drive anything anywhere. I don't care what it is. As long as it's a, it's a race car, I'll do it. And Travis Pastrana uh, and I might have been a little drunk at one point this year, and we decided, what if we went NASCAR truck racing together in real life? And he was like – Yep, that sounds like a great idea. I said, sweet, let's do it. About a month later, he's like, hey, you were serious, right? I said, yes, I was. And uh, so we essentially started calling, like he called his agent, called his, uh, you know, the people that support him. And we got, um, we raised like 150 grand in like two weeks to try and get these two trucks to go racing. And uh, and we did it. And I had never raced a truck, never driven a single lap in a NASCAR truck. He had done four races. Uh, and we went out there and with the way NASCAR schedules are worked this year, you get no practice, no qualifying. These guys literally show up and just race, which is the, the dumbest thing that I've been a part of ever. Um, especially having never driven a lap before in my life. And we went to Las Vegas and we went indoor skydiving the day before, and then we went racing the day after. And, um, it was, it was awesome. It went really well. We finished in the top 20, which is like a, a huge accomplishment for, uh, apparently not ever driving one of those. And I beat Travis, so he owes me a signed, framed $1 bill uh, and his helmet from the race. So uh, I can't wait to get those items. Um, but it was, again, something that I think you just got to always be doing stuff. Like, just do something entertaining. Like, the internet loved it. Our sponsors, the people that got involved, loved it. Travis Pastrana is, like, my hero. And, you know, to be teammates with him was was incredible. So, I've just done a bunch of random stuff in my life and I, I want to get to, you know, age 40 and not have any boxes left to check. Uh, I want to do it all. I want to race it all. I've literally driven every race car in the road to Indy, all the open wheel cars uh, and IndyCar. I've driven a Formula One car and all the cars that have come before Formula One. And now I've driven all the NASCARs except for the cup car. So I've got one thing left to do and hopefully like I want to do the Daytona 500 someday. I think that would be hilarious. That would pretty much check all the boxes when it comes to um, all of the motorsport series in the world, I guess. <laughs> That's incredible. I was actually going to ask you what the logic behind that is having um, with the trucks. How I don't understand like how you can just show up to a track and race. Yeah, neither did, that, neither did we. <laughs> I guess it worked out, right? It worked out for y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think as a driver, like when you – like I'm, I'm 28, so like I've, I've been in this sport for a long time, like since I was 10. And all race cars do the same thing. 
but they just do it differently and they do it at a different rate of speed. And you, you know, the goal is to not be the worst and the goal is to not crash. Like it's very easy to get in one of those cars and not know how it feels, not know what's going on um, and just wreck because I've seen it done before. I've seen so many people do it uh, because it is very, they're very hard to drive like race cars, no matter what series you're in, it's very hard. Like the guys that are up there, the guys and girls that are out there doing it, this is not an easy game to play. And like, jumping in like something completely new for me, um, you know, to do that, to do as well as we did, I even surprised myself because I, it was so foreign. And, and that's the hardest part about it is like, you just have to use every lap as basically a practice session, but the guys around you have been doing that all year and they've been racing and they know what's going on and you just have to stay smart. I think that's like, a, a, a massive part about racing is patience and maturity. Like be smart, don't do dumb stuff and don't hit anything. And if you can make it through like at least the first two thirds of the race without doing that, well, then you're in a great spot. Then you, you know, then you, then you've already, you know, accomplished one of the missions. So it was hard and I, I enjoyed the challenge. Um, but I really hope if I do one of those again, I get some practice. <laughs> I think don't do dumb stuff might be my favorite podcast quote so far. Yeah. It's, life is very simple. Just don't be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I told someone the other day, it was like, don't be dumb and don't be a douche. Like that's literally the only two things that you have to do in life. And sometimes I think that should be successful. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Um, <laughs> so you, you said like, it's obviously really hard to drive race cars. Um, and I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on the windscreen? Cause I've heard lots of, um, I don't know, I guess back and forth, positive and negative things about it. So, um, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I just, I haven't been because of, I, I, I don't care about my own personal safety. So I, I, that the, the, what, the, what its goals are and what it did is great. And like everyone who organized it, everyone who put it together, the engineers behind it, the, 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 the people in our series are very smart people and, and they do care about us. And, and I appreciate the concept of it for sure. Um, but you know, we're not like, we have the freedom to agree and disagree with things. And I just, I, I'm just not a huge fan of it yet. However, it's not, it's not been bad. Like it's been way better than I thought it was. Um, it's very hot in the car. I think that's something that has been very, very difficult to get used to. Um, as someone who sweats a lot of sweaty Irish ginger, I, it's tough for me. Um, but it's, it's done its job. It's protected drivers this year and crashes. Um, and, and it's only year one of it. So I think we're, you know, we've got some, some progress to make and I have no doubt that we will. Um, but you know, there, there's been a lot of really interesting things that it's done for us this year and it's, it's created a very different handling car. Uh, and it hasn't been released. It hasn't suited my driving style. Most of the places that we've gone. Um, but it's also not suited a lot of other really good established champions driving styles and a couple of different places. A guy like Simon Pagano, who's won the IndyCar championship, who's won the Indy 500. I mean, Simon Pagano, I think has qualified last in the last like four races and you just don't expect that. But again, racing, it's hard. If you don't have the exact right balance that you need out of that car, you as a driver won't be able to do your job as efficiently as someone who might have exactly what they need out of it. So 
it's definitely provided some interesting, um, I guess, question marks this year. I've heard before, like the, you have the same opinion as a couple of the drivers that I've heard from recently, which is really interesting, but um, we'll see. I don't know. I feel like it'll get better since it's just the first year. Um, oh yeah. We're all positive about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Um, well, Tien, do you want to jump in with a question? Thank you, Angie, and uh, thank you so much for joining us, Connor. Um, so uh, I did uh, research about you, and I found out that you, and you also mentioned that you went to Europe uh, when you were 18, and uh, you participate in the GB3 and also the GB2, especially in 2014 against Stoffel Van Dorn, Pierre Gasly, and, and also Nicolas Latifi, like very big household name. So can you, like, give us a little comparison between like a Formula Series car, like a GP2 car, and like an Indy car? Yeah, for sure. No, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, Stoffel, you mentioned Van Dorn. Stoffel and I were really playing Call of Duty about two hours ago. So he's a good guy, uh, good friend of mine. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of those guys are still really good friends. Max Verstappen, good buddy of mine, uh, Stoffel. Um, Carlos Sainz is a guy I raced against in GP3. Uh, Carlos is a really, really good friend of mine. Um, we actually, I actually have, we traded helmets, his helmets in my uh, living room over there. Um, so the, those guys and Pierre as well, super happy for that guy, for him to win this year was super cool. The kid, the kid is awesome. Uh, shared many a beverage with that man, uh, across the world, which has been hilarious. Um, but yeah, the differences are money. Uh, Formula One spend about $300 million a year on their cars and they build them from the ground up. Uh, and we don't, we have about $6 million a year budget to work with. And for us, our cars are very much almost like a spec series. So we all have the same chassis. Um, we all have a Delara. Uh, we all have now the same aerodynamic pieces as well. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was different aerodynamic uh, kits from Chevrolet and from Honda, but now it's, all the same aerodynamic pieces as well. So uh, the only thing that's open for development for our series is the damper work, uh, the springs and shocks and the dampers. So you could spend $10 million a year, I guess, if you wanted on dampers to develop whatever kind of magical spring system you think you can create. Um, but realistically, uh, you know, that's the only area where teams are kind of different and they have a bit of a, uh, you know, an advantage or disadvantage depending on what your budget is and who your damper engineers are. Um, so there, there's a lot of a difference, you know, formula one cars, they would go faster than us for sure, uh, at a racetrack at a road course. Um, but we go faster like top speed wise because we have the oval racing as well. And our cars are heavier because they have to be safer for us. You know, we hit, we hit a wall at 240 plus at Indy. The car has to be pretty bomb proof to, you know, to, to withstand that type of impact. Whereas those guys, they're never going that fast when they hit the wall. Um, you know, they're very safe, but they're, they don't have to be as safe as, as I guess our, uh, our cars do. So there's a lot of differences. Um, but realistically they're both open wheel cars. They create a lot of downforce, um, and they go fast. So that, that's good. And, and it was, it was very fun to drive those cars over there. Great racing series. Um, but when you compare them to over here, you know, GP two car, very similar to an Indy car or an Indy lights car, which is what comes kind of before Indy car. So, um, it was nice to be able to get that experience over there for sure. Awesome. Cool. Um, David, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, so kind of on a completely different note, uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, I was personally wondering what got you into Twitch streaming? 
Uh, since I see your Twitch Rivals thing behind you, and I saw uh, your account, you play Warzone and stuff like that. So I was just kind of wondering, uh, like, how you got into that. So honestly, it goes back to the business side. You got to diversify your portfolio. Like, you got to be uh, a brand that is, uh, I guess, that has multiple facets that you can sell to your sponsors. So when I stream. My main sponsor for the IndyCar is also on my stream and the Air Force, they're really, really trying to appeal to young people. And so uh, what better place to appeal to the younger generation than uh, on video games? So, you know, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted approach to try and uh, approach business partners and sponsors. Um, but I also just like video games, like a lot. Like I play way too many of them. So why not? play them and also engage my community, the fan base that I have. Uh, and you know, some of the, some of what has actually happened through this whole pandemic as well is that we did an entire, you know, online racing series, uh, for like three months while we were down, uh, from March to May, you know, all the IndyCar drivers, we were racing on iRacing, uh, you know, online every weekend. And it eventually was broadcast on NBC sports network every weekend. So like we were, I was streaming, but also, you know, this, we were doing, we're playing video games on NBC, which is hilarious. Um, but that's what we had to do. So it just created a different way for me to engage with like the fan base that I've got. And, and it's actually worked out really well. Like I, I can't complain at all. Um, like I love video games and I love watching, you know, people play on Twitch and I think it's hilarious. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be a part of it. So I did it. <laughs> Maybe you and uh, Trevor may need to link up since he's a baseball player doing the same thing. Yeah, there's a lot of guy, a lot of athletes out there getting on the Twitch game, and I, I think that's you know, it's all part of building your brand. Yeah, thank you. No worries. Awesome, uh, Tian, do you want to jump in again? Yeah. So um, uh, I, uh, I want to ask like a little bit more about kind of like the European racing scene because it's pretty hard, like. Uh, it's pretty hard to find like an American driver uh, like racing at like so-called like the crown jewel of like global motorsport racing. Uh, I think like the only American presence in Formula One right now is is Haas and also like um, just like the owner. So uh, with your experience racing over there, like can you maybe like um, like why is there like a very hard thing to find kind of like you know american driver in like formula one racing is there like a barrier or is there like a uh, i don't know i don't want to kind of like uh, point point things yet but like is there like a sort of like a favoritism towards the like european drivers or something like that uh you hit the nail directly on the head uh it's their thing it's not our thing uh it's 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 that's truly the the truth of it um, you know, I, I was immersed over there. I did everything that you, that they tell you you're supposed to do to try and be a Formula One driver. Um, you know, I, I signed a Formula One contract with Force India as a development driver, um, you know, drove their car multiple times, was their simulator driver. Um, but they don't like us. They, they really don't. Uh, and, I, and I don't know why. Uh, you know, Alexander Rossi was also over there as well, who's, you know, now an IndyCar, Indy 500 champion. Um, and Alexander Rossi is very good. Um, but Alexander Rossi, you know, he, he had to have a considerable amount of sponsorship just to get into the Marussia team at the time, which was, you know, essentially the worst team. Um, so it's, it's very, very difficult for us to get over there because they they immediately discount us. And, and it's sad because 
Alex and I are the only Americans in the last 10, 15 years who have actually won races on their prime platforms in GP2 or GP3. Uh, and, you know, we, I came one race from winning the GP3 championship, which, uh, you know, which would have continued my Formula One contract, uh, but I got taken out with one race to go. So you went from leading the championship to finishing third in the championship, all because someone else wrecked you. So, you know, life can literally go from like way over here to way down here in one instant. And, and I experienced that, uh, pretty aggressively, but it, I don't know if we will ever see a formula one driver from America, honestly, in the next 10 years, unless, unless there's one that is literally that Jeff Bezos gave birth to or something like that. I mean, you got to have a lot of support because there are, there are drivers over there that have support from their governments. You know, Felipe Nazar was a perfect example. His sponsor was the bank of Brazil when he got to formula one. It's like, well, that's pretty obvious. And you know, guys like Marcus Erickson, who very good friend of mine, but he has a very large amount of financial support behind him. And there are many Nicholas Latifi, a perfect example. His dad owns Canada, essentially like, massive, massive financial support behind him. And that's just how it is sometimes. Like those guys are good drivers. Like there's no doubt about it. It's not like we're discounting them as a, as talented human beings, but it's just, it's just difficult to get support from America because we have NASCAR, we have the NBA, we have the MLB, we have the NFL. There are so many companies that are dumping so much money into all that stuff that formula one really isn't a priority for any of them. And when it comes to the world stage, Formula One and soccer are like right at the top. And so it's just different. It's just different for us to generate support over here. Um, you know, I'm super proud of what we, you know, what Alex and I were able to accomplish over there, you know, to beat some of those guys who are in Formula One to go up against the best was definitely, um, you know, something that was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's tough to watch just because it was, it was brutal to be over there as an American, just, no fun at all. It was just very, very difficult because it's just a constant cutting you down because you're an American person. I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's my bad. Like, I'm going to go ahead and keep trying to do, you know, whatever I got to do. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned Haas, which is a perfect example. There is no American people on that team at all. Like, I, I know that, like, I, I have been there. It's an Italian team. It's an Italian team. Uh, Gene Haas you know, is, 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 is paying the bill, which is awesome. Like, I love that they race under the American flag, but if you have Gunter Steiner who literally comes out and shreds American drivers to pieces publicly, I think it's an absolute sham. Like it's, it's, it's disgusting what he has said about American drivers when he hasn't even like tested one of us, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah. I, I love your rant about Haas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I'm honest. I'll never not be honest. That's for sure. <laughs> gets me in trouble most of the time, but I also don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> De definitely. So um, yeah, I just have like a really quick, really quick follow up question because uh, you mentioned that you were with Force India, <clears throat> and like Force India back in there, kind of like back when they were still with VJ, um, like before 2018, when basically we got arrested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it was such a mess. But I want to ask, so um, you mentioned Nicolas Latifi and also Felipe Massa, who were like government-backed drivers. So um, I want to ask Sergio Perez, was he also kind of like back from the um, 
like the Mexican government, like oh, the yeah. Mexican government, and then they were, they had rumors that the reason why Checo got that seat for like ten years is because like all of those contracts, so sponsorship. So like, is that true, or is that just like a like a running around rumor? Uh, very true. Uh, Perez is Perez. Uh, the rumor was well. Perez was like bringing 35 to 40 million euros a year to the team. So like very easy to select him as the driver. And honestly, he ended up being a very good driver. Like I, I think Sergio is, is very, very talented. And so that's why people don't really talk about it as much anymore because the guy did the job. Like he, he, he was a good driver and it, it did take him a little bit of time in GP2 and stuff like that. But when he got to Formula One, he did the job for sure. Um, and but I mean, to give you an example, I mean, I'll be totally honest, you know, when I was Force India's reserve driver, you know, they, they were charging, you know, for the Friday FP1 sessions, you know, I, I didn't get to do one of those because they were getting 350,000 euros a day just to drive the car in FP1. So I did not have that type of support, um, but other drivers did. Uh, so, you know, a lot of those FP1 deals that you see uh, might be just to generate some extra funding for the program. And that's, you know, that, that's the, the real truth, like, I guess, behind um, a lot of the racing stuff that goes on over there. Um, but it's just part of it. And, you know, a lot of those good drivers do have financial support because people do recognize that they're very good. So, you know, there's only a couple different scenarios where you're like, oh, wow, like I, did, I didn't actually realize, you know, that he had this or that or whatever. But it, it is wild to hear and see some of the money um, you know, that is, that is exchanged for, uh, for that type of program. Like Mexico really supports their drivers. Like I will, I will give them a lot of credit, like Carlos Slim and the guys, like they, they do great things for their drivers. And I love that. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's, um, you know, I'm obviously jealous, but it's, it's really cool to see, you know, a lot of young drivers getting a shot because they support them from very early on as well. Awesome. Cool. David, do you want to ask another one? Can I get your thoughts on the uh, NASCAR race at the Nashville Super Speedway in 2021, just kind of bringing racing back to a place that is kind of a foothold of it? I didn't actually know NASCAR was going back to Nashville at the Super Speedway, but I love it. I, I mean, we're we're going back to Nashville for a street race, which is going to be awesome. Um, so we're racing on the streets of Nashville, which I think is going to be incredible. It's going to be like a music festival type event. Um, so yeah, I think it's awesome. Nashville is an incredible place, man. It's just, just down the street, essentially for me, four hour drive, uh, from Indianapolis. So, uh, it's going to be awesome. I, I think getting new markets involved in motorsport is, is really crucial right now for sure. Thank you. Yep. Last thing I like to end on advice. Um, so what's like one piece of advice you wish you had known when you were a kid growing up in racing? Oh man. I, uh, there's a lot of things I wish I knew. Um, I think something that I wish I knew earlier is be more concerned about the business side earlier. You know what I mean? Like I, I was very fortunate to, to, to win a lot. And like, I was just, that's all I was concerned about. And I think if you get a better perspective for the business side earlier on, some of those people, those relationships that I might have had when I was like 15 or 16 uh, or even like 17 or 18, um, you know, you never know where they, where they could have gone. But like I have, I have no regrets. You know, there, there, was a, there was a big decision for me whether to stay in America when I was 18 or go to Europe. Uh, and I look at Joseph Newgarden, who I was beating in the Indy Lights Championship uh, when I left to go to Europe. 
and he's now two-time IndyCar champion, won about 100 million races and drives for Penske. And that's a kid that I beat all my life. So I was like, oh, man, I uh, don't know if I should have gone to Europe. But you can't live with regret. And I, I think Joseph's done an incredible job, and I am still working on it. Uh, but, yeah, I just wish I would have paid more attention to the business side earlier on. Um, and don't trust anyone in racing. That's one thing I've learned as well. Uh, but you know, that's, that's, there's, there's still a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that, that life, life is a hilarious ride and I'm still, still on a roller coaster somewhere. I don't know if I'm on the upside or the bottom side, but we're still on it. Wonderful advice. <laughs> I love it. Um, so last thing, what's next? Like what's, when's your next race? What are you doing next? Um, so we've got only one left. So we've got, uh, St. Petersburg, Grand Prix of St. Pete, uh, March or March, October 25th. Uh, normally it's in March. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, that was our first race of the year. It got canceled and then it actually got re not canceled. Uh, and then now it's October 25th is our season finale. So, um, it's going to be awesome. I mean, that's, that's my last race. And then after that, uh, I think we have a test day like November 2nd, but realistically November is a really, really important time for me to like hopefully resign for next year and be a part of the team for next year. Um, this is the business time of year. So we have one race left, but now it's all contracts. It's all sponsorship. It's all, you know, tr just tr when the music stops, you better hope that you have a seat. So, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna be pushing hard for that. And I think it's on NB, I think it's on network NBC for October 25th season finale. So. Awesome. I'll be watching. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been great to hear all of your stories and wonderful advice. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned for more episodes on Adventures with Aggie coming next week.